Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Good morning. It's great to be here with all of you. And for those of you joining us from the Vallejo campus and online, um, we are, as Pastor Larry said, we are in this series called Believe. And the whole idea behind this is our belief is shaped by our understanding. So we need to understand what is it that I believe? And then that belief shapes our behavior. And as our behavior and our beliefs begin to shape our character, it's who we become. And so this first part of this whole series, what I'm excited about this all is, is understanding what is it that we believe? Do I really believe those things? And if I do, what difference does it make in my life? So we're in week six. It comes with uh, this book. If you have not picked up a book Yet, they are free. If this is your first time at Northgate, this is a gift for you. We encourage you to pick it up and follow along with us. Uh, We're in week six, but you can pick it up right there. Each week is a different belief, and the book is free. So if you haven't picked up yours yet, please make sure that you do. And if you have a friend um, who has got questions about the Christian faith or kind of investigating and wants to know more, this is a great book. You can pick up an extra copy for $5 and go through it together with them. Um... Pastor Larry, a couple weeks ago, I talked about the Bible and how we got the Bible. And it's not just really one book. It's actually a collection of books written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. And it all tells one story. It is the ongoing and folding story of God's redemptive work in this world. And, and have we started in week one with this idea that we are all created by God. But, but not impersonally, that we were created for a relationship with him. But our sin and our rebellion, our insistence on doing it our way, not God's way, has broken that relationship. And that happens in any relationship. When you have this conflict of, of wills, um, it, it affects the relationship. And it did with our relationship with God. And so what God has done is he didn't give up on us. He didn't throw us away. He didn't try to just start over. He kept pursuing us and ultimately gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross to redeem us, to rescue us, to save us so that we could now be in that right relationship with him. And that's what we talked about last week, that we now have a new identity in Christ. But the other thing that happens and what we're going to be talking about today is that once that relationship with God is restored and and then it begins to affect every other relationship. That's why Jesus said, greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The two are connected. And so today what we're going to be talking about is the church and particularly the idea of the church as a community. And this is really important because a lot of times, and maybe we know the right reason and the right definition, but the language that we use and the expressions that we use sometimes confuses the whole issue. Because a lot of times we talk about the church like as a building. Like, you know, people will say to me, oh yeah, you're the church with the leaning over cross out there on the hill, you know? Yeah, no. Yes and no. Yeah, that's, that's the building, but that's not the church. Um, or sometimes we'll talk about the church um, in terms of, 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 of a program. And we'll talk about going to church. I'm going to church this morning. Um, and, but it's not the program either. It's not the building. It's not the program. It's not even an institution. Because sometimes we'll use wording like we'll say, I made a donation to my church or I volunteer at my church as if it were some entity. But it's not any of those things. The bottom line is that the church is people. 
And not just people, but a community of people. That the church is to be a community of people together. And we're going to be talking about that and particularly what that looks like and why this is so important. Why is this belief so important? And the reason is, is because God said this was his plan from the very, very beginning. Ephesians chapter 3, you put it this way. God's purpose in all of this was to, was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. This was his eternal plan. In other words, the church wasn't plan B or plan C. The church wasn't something that God had to come up with later on because of some of the... This was his plan from the very beginning, a community of faith, local communities of people growing together in faith. And so the church is you and it's me. And wherever we're at in that faith journey, as a community, we are the church. And this was God's plan from the very beginning. So we better get it right. And in uh, most of our New Testament... Pastor Larry talked about this a couple weeks ago. Most of our New Testament is actually made up of letters that were written by the Apostle Paul to different local churches. And one of those churches is the church in a city called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And this letter, the book in the Bible we call the book of Ephesians, is actually a letter to a church in Ephesus. And it's a church that Paul knew very well. And the letter he wrote, he wrote from prison. He was near the end of his ministry, thinking this might be the very end of everything. And so he wrote these letters, and one of them is to this church in Ephesus. And this is what he wrote. So if you want to turn there, it's in uh, Ephesians chapter 3. And Paul wrote these words. This is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. And both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Verse 10. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Chapter four. Turn to page. Therefore, and remember what we said, anytime you come across a therefore, stop and look at what it's there for. Okay, he's been building this case. Now here's the application. Therefore, he says, I, as a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us special gift through the generosity of Christ. Verse 11. Now these are the gifts. Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. 
growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. He's saying this is what a healthy church looks like. This is what a thriving church ought to look like. And and God has entrusted this incredible message of redemption and grace into our hands. So let's get it right. Let's let's do what it is the church is supposed to do. And and in this, what I want to do today is just kind of break it down. I'm going to give you three really quick and very practical things about understanding what the church is really all about. Starting with this idea that the church is a community, and it is a community where everyone is welcome. Everybody's welcome. That has been God's plan from the very beginning, that there would be this group of people that is the most inclusive group of people that there is on the planet. Unfortunately, that is not often the case. That very often churches become very closed and and cliquish and and closed off to other people. But God's design for the church is that it would be the single most inclusive, inclusive organization or group of people that there is on the planet. Because that's what Jesus did. This is how Paul put it. This is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promised blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. In other words, there is no second-class citizen in God's kingdom. Everybody is welcome. Everybody belongs. Now, the reason this is so important and the reason that Paul writes about this is because for the first year or so, pretty much the church was exclusively Jewish. Because Jesus was Jewish, Jesus came as the Messiah to the Jewish people. And so even those who became followers of Jesus, they were really considered to be just another sect of Judaism. And for the first year or so, pretty much the church was exclusively Jewish and exclusively in Jerusalem. But God had a bigger plan in mind. And it actually was started by Jesus If you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, he was the most inclusive person around. Everybody flocked him, whether they knew him well or not, whether they agreed with him or not. People were just attracted to him. He was, literally, he was outrageously inclusive. Literally. Because there were people who were outraged at who he was including. Yeah, he was. And and, and that's that's just the way that he was. He, made, he went out of his way to find people that nobody else would include and call them to follow. And he says, that's the standard. That's the baton that he has passed to us, the church. And, and let me just say this. If you are here today and you have ever been in a church, and even if it was here at Northgate, if you have ever been in a church in which you were not made to feel welcome, let me just apologize on behalf of all Christianity. Because that means we've not done, we have not done our job. We have a whole ministry here at Northgate. We call it our first impressions or our first face because it's the first experience people are going to have when they come up onto this campus. And it goes all the way from our parking lot attendants all the way through to our ushers, our greeters, the people that are out there. And, 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 and here's why. Because we want everyone who walks through these doors to know that they are welcome. 
And, 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 and we were talking about this in um, my rooted group this week. And, and one of our uh, people in, our, in my group um, is actually fairly new to Northgate. And she says, you know, I have visited a lot of churches in my day. And I have been to churches where I walked in the doors and I felt like no one would talk to me. Nobody was interested. In fact, they, uh, like I was intruding on their party. And he says, and I've gone to other churches where they, they, they greet me, they smile, they shake my hand. But I always have this impression like they want something from me, not for me. But she said, the first time I walked through the doors of Northgate, it was like people were really glad that I was there. Yes. That, that, that they made me feel welcome and at home. And we want that to be the experience of everybody that comes through these doors. Because everybody is welcome. That's Jesus' way. So we want to have Jesus' smiles that are genuine smiles that say, I'm glad you're here today. That we want to have Jesus' eyes that notice people who look like they're kind of lost or trying to figure the place out. We want people with Jesus' kind of ears who are listening to people intently and really understanding people. We want people with Jesus' kind of hearts that say, everybody is welcome. There's... um, there's a whole series of jokes, the, the St. Peter at the Gate kind of jokes. You've heard a number of these, I'm sure, over the years. Generally, I don't like these jokes because they're just full of bad theology. But I heard one not too long ago, and I thought, this, okay, this one I can almost buy into. And, and it, this actually comes, comes down to St. Peter is guarding the gates there, right? He's got the little roll book, and the gate's behind him. And, but, and, and St. Paul is the administrator. And they're having this conversation because St. Peter keeps saying to St. Paul, you know what? There are a lot more people in here than I have let through these gates, so Paul goes to make some investigation. And he comes back to Peter the next day. And he says, I figured out what the problem is. Jesus is letting people in over the wall at night. <laughs> I kind of like that one. <laughs> because that's Jesus' heart. See, and that should be the heart of the church. It should be the heart of the church that everyone who walks through these doors would feel welcome. Because that's, that's what Jesus did. In fact, he came and gave his, he, he showed us the kingdom. He, he lived it out. He included people this way. And then he gave his life for everyone on a cross. And then after he had rose, resurrected, he went to that group of 12 that he had poured his life into. And he said to them these words, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay, that's good. We're all here. Jerusalem's good. I like Jerusalem. This is where my friends are. I know everybody here in Jerusalem. This is cool. No, and in Judea. Oh, you want me to go out into the countryside? Okay, if you say, and then Samaria. Whoa, 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 you know those Samaritans. <laughs> I don't know about the Samaritans. And to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles. Why would I go to the Gentiles? They're not looking for a Messiah. They're not interested in a Messiah. Why would I go to the Gentiles? I'm just going to stay right here in Jerusalem because this is where my friends are at. And that's human tendency. That's human nature. I don't like change. I want to stay where I'm comfortable. I want to hang around with the people that I hang around with. Jesus said, no, that's not the plan. The plan is you'll receive power and you will be in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And you know, for the first year or so, they stayed in Jerusalem. And you know what God did? He stirred up trouble. That's what he did. A great persecution came on the church in Jerusalem and they were scattered. And you know what it says in the book of Acts? That as they were scattered, they shared the good news wherever they went. It was like God was saying, okay, let me give you some help. Boom, you know? Because that's the mission of the church. That the church is a community of faith where everyone is welcome. 
And, 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 and here's what happened. So all these Gentiles now started to become, become followers of Jesus. And, and that created a problem, not just a cultural problem, but actually a theological problem. Because up until then, anyone who became a convert to Judaism, if he was a male, circumcision. And it doesn't matter how old you were. If you became a convert to Judaism, the mark of becoming a, Jew, a Jewish convert was circumcision. And so this was a big issue, not just a culture. This was a theological issue. This was such a big issue that they actually held a council on it in Jerusalem. All these people that had been out there sharing the gospel with all these Gentile believers, and they gathered everybody back together and said, we've got to make a decision about all this stuff. What are we going to do with these Gentiles? Do they need to get circumcised or not? And here was a decision that they finally came up with. And I love this. this. I read this years ago, and I thought, this is the church. We should not make it difficult for people, the Gentiles, who are turning to God. We shouldn't make it difficult. Why? Because our mission is to include everyone. Everyone. No matter where you've been, what you've done, what you're going through right now, whatever. You are welcome. Because that's the mission of the church, a place where everyone's welcome and a place where nobody's perfect. And this, too, is very important, because if everybody's going to be welcome, then we've got to understand not everybody's perfect. I, um, sometimes I, oh, let me, let, in fact, let me back up just a minute, because I want, I want to teach you a sentence, okay? And this is going to be a really, really easy sentence, but very, very difficult at the same time, okay? So I want you to repeat after me. You... Should, should go to my church. You should come to my church. Okay, wait a minute. Come on. I know. This is like the 10 o'clock service. You should be a little bit more awake than the 830 people. They kind of stumbled on this, but you guys, you've had your coffee. So we're going to try this one more time. You should come to my church. That's a good sentence. You know why? Because sometime in your life, you're going to have a new neighbor move into the neighborhood. And you're going to meet them, and you're going to get to know them, because you're going to be welcoming. And then when you welcome them, and you find out who they are and what they're about, you're going to say to them, you should come to my church. Yeah. Or maybe somebody in your circle of friends, or, or somebody in your neighborhood, they just had a baby. You should come to my church. We got a great kids program. We got people who, who care for kids all the way from birth to, you know, through high school. God, you should come to my church. In fact, you got a teenager. You should come to my church. <laughs> you know somebody's going through a hard time. You should come to my church. Somebody's lost a job. Somebody's struggling in a relationship. Somebody's marriage is on the rocks. You should come to my church. Because the church is a place where everybody's welcome. And nobody's perfect. Now, sometimes I use that sentence and I, and I invite people to come and very often I get this response. Oh, no. If I walk through those doors, the walls would come crumbling down. <laughs> you ever heard that one before? You know what my answer is to that one? Oh, you don't know. We got a whole building full of people way worse than you. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Or sometimes people say, well, you know, I'm just not a church person. Listen. Listen. If the prevailing view of the church outside the walls of the church is that that's only for church people or only for people who have it all together, then we have failed at our mission. Because the church is filled with imperfect people. It has always been for imperfect people. 
I said earlier, most of the New Testament is Paul's letters to different local churches all around the Mediterranean. Do you know that in those letters, in just about every letter, yeah, there's a lot of theology. Yeah, there's a lot of you know, understanding about the, the Christian faith and all that kinds of instruction. But do you know in just about every one of those letters, he's correcting some mistake or some problem that's happening in the church? Yeah. Yeah, he writes letters because in some churches, there's these factions and there's quarreling. In some churches, in some of these churches, there's gossip. Gossip in church? Whoa. How'd that happen? Lawsuits happening between believers. There's even, there's even, in the Corinthian church, he has to write because there's an incestuous relationship going on. And everyone in the church thinks it's okay. You ought to read your Bible. There's some really good stuff in there. <laughs> But it's all about imperfect people all through the New Testament. That's what Paul is writing about. Imperfect people. That's the church. Everybody's welcome and nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Paul wrote these words. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, show of hands. How many would love to have a group of friends around you that fit that description? Yeah. How many would love that to be a, your description of yourself? Okay, not enough of you raised hands on that one. How many are saying, okay, I'm already there? Okay, if you are, let me go to this one right here, the first one. You already messed it up. If you are looking, if you, if you came here to Northgate looking for the perfect church, prepare to be disappointed. And in fact, if you get so disappointed that you leave, go looking for another church and you try to find that and you actually do find that perfect church, don't you dare join it. You're going to mess the whole thing up. <laughs> because the church is a community where nobody's perfect. It's, it, that's, that's the whole thing. Now, that's why he says these things like, I urge you, I urge you, live the life worthy of the calling that you've received. I urge you, he says. You got, you got to work at this thing. He goes on, he says, make every effort. Because this doesn't happen by accident. Now, here's the good news. Life transformation happens in community. That's where it happens. All of those descriptions... You know, be patient, be humble, all of those things. How do those happen? They don't happen on your own. They happen in community. You know, it's real easy to think that I'm a patient person until I have to hang out with people who drive me crazy. It's real easy to think that I'm a very loving person until I'm stuck with people who aren't very lovable. See, all of those things don't happen on your own. They happen in community. And that's why we put such an emphasis on, on, on being part of a community group. Because in community, we, we get in circles instead of in rows. And in, in community, in those community groups, we, we interact with each other and we get to know each other and we pray for each other and we encourage each other and we help each other through all of these things. Because that's where transformation happens. It happens in community. Something else, something that we believe is probably the most important thing you can do. In fact, we have 95 people now currently going through our Rooted. And I don't want to say program because it's not program. It's really a discipleship process. And, and I'm so excited. We had 95 people sign up for this. And, and now we're going into week eight. And, and over 90 have still stuck with it. And it's a 10-week commitment. 
And I would encourage you, because this is a, a discipleship, we have decided this is the discipleship process. There's a lot of things we have tried to help people grow in their faith, but we have found this is a best key for transformation to happen. And there's more information about this out in the New Friends area. You can pick up one of these cards. Uh, registration is going to open in a couple of weeks because this one's winding down. The next one's going to start up right after Easter. Now I would encourage you. In fact, one of the things we're going to do is every one of our community groups is going to go through Rooted together as a group because we just have found this is the best discipleship life transformation process that we've been able to find. And I encourage you to be a part of that. Make every effort, he says. That requires openness. It requires vulnerability. It requires honesty with one another it requires community so paul wrote so speaking the truth in love we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is christ so church is a community where everybody's welcome where nobody's perfect and where everyone has something to contribute Because see, this too is the wisdom. This is the genius of the church. That God designed his church to function like a body. And in the same way, in fact, you find all through the New Testament, this illustration used to describe how the church grows, how the church is healthy, how the church thrives. And he describes it like a body. In the same way that your body is made up of all kinds of different organs, which make up different systems, which all come together and operate as one, one body, one entity, so it is in the church. That God has designed this church, his church, to function as a body, which means there's all kinds of different gifts and abilities that have to come together for it to happen. And and it's the only way that the local church can function. And one of the greatest strengths, the greatest strength, I believe, of Northgate is, is that it doesn't depend on my preaching every Sunday. And it doesn't depend on Pastor Jesse's voice when it gives out. Or Pastor Larry, um, and when he teaches and, and puts together these, these programs and, and, and conferences that we're able to do. We have an incredibly gifted group of people on our pastoral staff who are so dedicated and so loving and so serving in this church. But I'm going to tell you, it doesn't depend on any one of them or on all of us together. You know what it depends on? You. Doing what God has created you to do. That's how God designed the church. This is what Paul wrote. He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Now, he doesn't say he has given some of us. He doesn't say he's given every other one of us. He doesn't say, we've scattered a few among you. He says, each one of us has a special gift through the generosity or through the grace of of Christ. They are called spiritual gifts, and everybody has at least one. God has equipped you. You have certain gifts. You have certain talents. You have certain abilities that only you have. And that particular mix of all of those things is how God has uniquely shaped you and called you to be a part of this incredible thing that he's doing in this world through the church. And you have something to contribute. That's what he says. He goes on, puts it this way. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers for what purpose? To equip his people 
It's not our job to do all the work. Our job, our primary job is to equip and recruit and train and develop and help you do the work that God has called you to do so that the body of Christ may be built up. The only way the church is healthy, the only way that the church thrives, the only way that this church has become who we are is because of the numbers of people who are so generous with their time and their talents and their resources and their treasure. And that's how God designed the church. You have a part to play. And if you're unsure what that looks like for you, let me tell you, actually, this coming Saturday, we have a class. Uh, it's a workshop. It's a four-hour workshop Saturday morning from 9 to about 1. There'll be party breaks, I promise. Um, it's called Find Your Fit. And it's just kind of a, how, here's, here, here are some of the ways that you can kind of diagnose and figure out where your fit is, where you fit into this body, because you do. You do. And we want to help you find that. And then after the class, you're going to kind of get an idea. Okay, this might be a place that you should try. So then what we encourage people to do is test drive a ministry. You're not signing up for the rest of your life. Just test drive one. Just say, you know what? I think, I think I might be able to help in this area. And then we'll assign you somebody. You can shadow them. You can see how it works and what, what it requires and what you need to do. And then you're in. And if you decide, you know what? I don't think this works for me. Fine. We'll give you something else. <laughs> we figured it out a number of years ago now, and it's probably more, I know it's more than that now, but we figured out just on any given Sunday morning, um, well, actually now with two campuses, both here in Benicia and Vallejo, what happens just in a weekend around here takes in upwards of 120 people serving. And, and some of them um, serve in the nursery with the babies. Some of them serve in our dig ministry with the, our, our elementary age uh, kids, elementary school age kids. Some of them in the youth ministry. Um, some happen uh, in, in our ushers, our greeters, our parking attendants, uh, the tech team in the back, the singers up front, uh, just all. It's like, and, and then this, that's just this campus. Then you take Vallejo campus and all the setup and everything that they have to do over there every week. It takes over 120 people to do that. We could not do that if we didn't have that kind of volunteer, that kind of generosity. We couldn't give out books unless people were generous with their resources. We couldn't offer ministries unless people were generous with their time and their talents. So let me say, first of all, this. If you are currently serving here at Northgate, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because... Because it is because of you that we are the church that we are. In fact, let me say this. Parents, when you go pick up your kids today after their class, make sure you say thank you to their teacher. And if you stop in at the cafe and have a cup of coffee, make sure you tell them thank you. And on your way out, when somebody's got that smile and wishing you have a week, good weekend or good day, tell them thank you. And even as you drive out and the guy directing traffic out there for the parking makes you stop so somebody else can come in, tell him thank you, okay? Because that's what makes the church the church. And if you are not currently serving, I'm just going to ask you, why not? Why would you not want to be a part of this incredible work that God is doing in this world? What else would you do with your one and only life? You have gifts and talents and abilities that God has given to you. You've got something to offer. So offer it. 
offer it. Find out what it is and offer it. It is the most fulfilling thing you can do with your life. Peter put it this way. Each of you should use whatever gift, whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. None of us all have the same gifts. No two of us have the same gifts and abilities. But every one of us has something to contribute. Bill Hybels, years ago, he was at the forefront of this whole idea of a church for imperfect, unchurched people. And I was at a conference years ago when we were first starting Northgate. And he said these words, and it's another one of those that I wrote down on the inside of my Bible, you know, the paper one that I still have. He said, there is nothing like the church when the local church is working as it should. The local church is the hope of the world. And I believe that. That's why I've given my life to this. That's why you ought to too. Because there's nothing more fulfilling, nothing more meaningful, nothing more impactful than to have a chance to touch somebody else's life and make a difference for eternity. And that's why the church exists. And that's what we want to be all about. And that's what Jesus wanted. In Matthew and Mark and Luke's Gospels, you get the short version of Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. In John's Gospel, you get the long version. And in that prayer, and he prayed a number of things, but in that prayer, he prayed for you and for me. And he prayed these words. I pray that they will all be one, just as you are in, and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. There is nothing like the church when the local church is working as it should. It is the hope of the world. Would you bow your heads with me? From the beginning... God's great redemption story has been unfolding. And it has been God's plan from that very beginning that the church would be the culmination of it all. And that's you and that's me. So if you are currently serving, thank you. If you're not, let me encourage you, let me urge you, let me prod you, poke you, push you, whatever I have to do to say, find out how God has gifted and called you and then do what he's called you to do. Be a part of his work in this world. And if you're here today, and maybe your experience at church has been not to be made to feel welcome, kind of feel like an intruder, but you're here today, and you say, that's, that's what I want to be a part of. But you don't really know a relationship with God. See, it starts with your relationship with God. And that's what Jesus came to do, to make that relationship right so all the other relationships could start to work out right. And today, if you don't have that kind of a relationship, if you don't know His grace at work in your life, today you can take a first step of faith. And it just starts with admitting, I'm not perfect. God, I'm I'm not perfect. I've got these faults. I've got these failures. I've got these mistakes. I've got this sin. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. And if you, for the very first time today, are saying, that's where God's poking me, that's where God's prodding me today, I need to take that first step first. And today you'd like to take that, that step of faith. I'd like to lead you in a prayer. 
as we close. I'm just going to ask you to do something real simple. If you would just acknowledge it by raising your hand, holding it up for a moment, and as you do, also look up and catch my eye because I want to acknowledge you and pray with you. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you came to restore our relationship with you and by that restore our relationship with each other. Thank you for a place where everybody's welcome and nobody's perfect and everyone has something to contribute. May we be that church. And for those who raised a hand this morning just saying, I want to start down that journey too. And just in this moment, they're admitting, I'm not perfect either. I belong. (laughs) God, would you let your grace flow over me Would you forgive my sin? Would you make me right with you so that I could now follow you in this community of faith? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. You